I have thoroughly enjoyed these few weeks spending in the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. A minor prophet. He didn't write much. In fact, there's only three chapters in the book of Habakkuk. But those three chapters are so indicative of the lives that we lead. So we're going to look at chapter 3 here today, and there's just something in me that says, I think there's one more week after today to come back and look at some of the overview and some of the depth as it relates not only to us in our personal lives, but I believe also for us as a nation and a people of God. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, it's hard to fully get our hearts around all that you have done throughout generations. And when we climb back into 600 years before you walked on this earth, we find a man who had a heart for you, but a man who was deeply broken about situations in his own nation, situations in maybe his own life. But Lord, we ask here this morning through your presence, Spirit, that you would speak once again to us. May your written word, recorded from decades, centuries ago, be alive and well for us this morning. And may you dig out our ears to hear not only this word from Habakkuk, but may you dig out our ears to hear the sweet voice of your Holy Spirit as it seeks to bring comfort and encouragement to us in whatever place we are in life. Amen? It has been a journey on these few weeks, and uh, yesterday, uh, on Friday actually, this room was filled uh, with people to remember uh, the life of Laura Rangel, Joe's grandmother, part of our congregation. And uh, Joe, you've done a good job walking through the weekend and even leading worship today, I know, as a spiritual foundation for your life in so many ways. It's hard because there's an empty hole that happens when things come. But it's always good when you're able to have memorial services for people who love Jesus and who knew Jesus personally who invited Jesus to be a part of their life and live for Jesus. And we know that those who go before us, we will see again someday if they are in Christ. But we are given these years to carry on, to be able to journey with God. And there will be highs and lows. And that's what Habakkuk experienced. He was in a difficult season of life. He felt his nation... Uh, was not obeying God, that there needed to be change happen within his own people, the Israelites. But God's answer to him was quite astonishing, as we recall. When he cried out to God, God, where are you at? Why don't you do something? Things don't seem to be fair. God said, all right, I'm going to act. And he was going to act by bringing and raising up the Babylonians, a very vicious nation who would take over Israel. And Habakkuk was so confused, like, huh? What's going on? Why would you raise up somebody far worse than we are? And God just said, hang with me, hang with me. And so Habakkuk's on this journey as he is questioning God. 
And over these weeks, we've been working with a little bit of a diagram. If you're new today, uh, we added to that diagram last week, but we sort of added a, a, a prelude to it, and it was this flat line. And the flat line depicting life that we are spiritually dead. It says in Ephesians that we are dead in our trespasses and sins in which we used to live. And without Christ in our life, we do not have true spiritual life. And so if you're here this morning and that's maybe a decision you've never made in your life to cross the line of faith, it's, it's not a big downer. It's sort of a, an encouragement because you got to define reality, as they said. Defining reality is the first step to progress, right? So if Christ is not in your life, even though you may have some spiritual interest, maybe you grew up in church, maybe you have family that know God, if you've not personally crossed that line of faith, there is spiritual death or flatlining happening in your life. And so, as they reworked this back there, I guess we're flickering up here some, um, we have this curve. And we mentioned last week that we are made alive in Christ when we cross that line of faith and we make a commitment to Him. And so we go from being spiritually dead to being alive, and we make that not by our good works and all the things we can measure up to appease God or something. It's like we do it by simple faith and belief in what Christ has done for us. And so we, where to go? There we go. You're having a lot of fun out there, a little bit of strobe going on or something like that. If I need to do something, Josh, just let me know. Um, so we go from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. But then we said, as you go from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive, you just tell me, are we good to go? Or you got to reboot that thing? So we go from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. We are on a high, but things happen to us. Discouragement can come. Uh, our prayers aren't answered like they used to be. And we come to a place called the crisis of belief um, that has been uh, mentioned before. In this crisis of belief, then, we have a couple choices. We can go back to trying to be on our spiritual high, or we can just say, forget you, God. I'm done. And so that easily happens. But when you hit a crisis in life, and whether it's maybe somebody passes away that's dear to you in your own life and you don't quite understand it, maybe you lose a job, maybe another situation happens with some of your kids or something like that, maybe you've prayed and prayed and prayed and God just doesn't even seem to be there anymore. When you hit a crisis of belief, you don't want to go back pretending that you're at some place you're not. And you don't want to give up on God. You need to come down into what we refer to um, as the dip. And this is what Habakkuk does in chapter 1. We mentioned he is wondering, God, where are you? What's going on? A crisis of belief. And then we said in chapter 2 of Habakkuk that there's this season of waiting when we are in the crisis of belief and what's referred to as the dip. And then we come to the place where we have to choose to live by faith not just be made alive by faith, but we're down here in the dip. So where do we go from here? Well, I want to talk to you today about beyond the dip. Beyond the dip, moving through this and moving up on the other side of this curve. And chapter 3 is straight on about worship. 
Not worship maybe in the sense of the giddy euphoric kind of sense, but a true, genuine, deep spirit of worship and worshiping God for who He is and worshiping God in the big picture of life. And so here we are in chapter 3. What do we do to move beyond the dip? Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, the Sigonath, which had to do with a musical kind of framework. I know that's an awkward kind of word there, but this is a prayer of the prophet. He's in communion with God. And he says this in verse 2, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. O Lord, renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Now, the key phrase here in this is renew them in our day. There's something happening where he's going back and he's trying to think big picture of not just the immediate moment of his life, but all that's going on with his nation, what's going on with himself, what's going on with those who are around him, those who are the religious people even, because he seemed to serve in the religious environments of the temple. Habakkuk is asking the Lord in prayer to go back and renew what he's done in the past and do it again in this day. The word renew is the word kaya. Kaya. He's maybe that wrestling aspect of Habakkuk. And it means to renew, to revive, to restore. And so he goes on this pattern of seeking and asking God that he would do something when he's down here, he's not just passively going, oh, woe is me, life is tough, things are bad around me, look at the world. He is asking a petition of God that he would renew, he would restore, he would revive what he remembers happening in his life, and in his people. And so he's petitioning God to do this. And as he's doing this, the first thing you need to do as well is what he did, which is the word remember. Remember. Are you in the dip this morning? How's life going? We could all go around, hey, how's your day? How's your week? How's your year? How's your life? Well, so, so. I want you to pause, and I want you to do what Habakkuk did when he petitioned God, remember, let's climb back through the years, let's climb back even for some of us through the generations, and let's remember. What happens when you remember? You recall not only the event, but you recall specifics, you recall people. You recall God working in the midst of it. And so he's asking that there would be some remembrance. Have you ever like um, had something that triggers a memory? Maybe it's a song. Some of you have songs. I, I'm sorry, I'm a little older and uh, I do have XM, uh, Siri radio in one of the cars. And a lot of times I just turn it to the 70s. 
Come on now. Any 70s here? Thank you, Greg. I appreciate that. There are certain songs that if I hear them played, eagle songs, other kinds of songs, I remember where I was, doing what I was, working that summer, whatever. Maybe it triggers. Songs, sounds can trigger that. How about smells? Do you have any smells that trigger you? Maybe the smell of an apple pie triggering you being at your grandma's or something like that. I saw this week that they actually have candles now that you can buy that smell like McDonald's quarter pounders. You going to buy one, Joe? You're good? You're in there? All right, there you go. You can find that for Joe. Smells will trigger things. Now, you may think that's really bad. If I smelled freshly plowed dirt growing up as a farm kid, oh, man, that kicks me back into some really good seasons, farming with my dad and my brothers, you know, out there on the tractor late at night, plow turning stuff over. I know, that's a little strange. But what are your triggers that trigger something? And and so what Habakkuk does is he's crying out, renew, I want to remember. And so he's allowing some triggers to sort of go off that will help him recall the God who is, even though he is down in the dip. Remember. Remember. So here he goes. Verse 3. God, you came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. Selah, which is an exclamation kind of point. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. Now, why does he go back to this memory and trying to trigger this? Well, when God rescued the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea when they got to the other side and the sea collapsed and the Egyptians drowned in the sea. God took them to a place and this is the place that he took them to and he remembers from history what happened there. God called them out of Egypt and he established them fresh and anew as a chosen people for him to work his will and his beauty through. Again, all the way back to Abraham, I will bless you in order to be a blessing. God chose the Israelites, not because they were, oh, look, they're just special people and everybody else are losers. He picked the Israelites to bless them so that they could bless all nations. And so as you read the story through the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures, you find them up and down, and then you find them in captivity. And God rescues them out of that captivity, and it brings them to this place. And so Habakkuk is going, I remember, I remember, remember what happened at, at Taman and, and the Mount Paran. And, and you just, you filled the heavens with your glory and the power. And Moses, remember Moses, and he he climbs up on the mountain and God meets him there. And all that transpires in the Old Testament scriptures through Moses' life and those years of wondering and then finally into the promised land. He's recalling that. He says, his splendor, God, your splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hands where his power was hidden. 
Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. What's that referring to? Well, not only was there the power and the glory of God was seen, but he says, remember, remember what you did with Pharaoh. He was such a jerk, man. And he wouldn't let us go. And, and God continued to bring about plagues. And then there was the pestilence. And, and they, couldn't, they couldn't handle it. So he finally let the Israelites go. He stood, God stood and shook the earth and he looked and he made the nations tremble. What kind of God you got? Has your God become small recently in your life? You got to be real if it's not going well and you're in the dip and there's complaints and there's discouragements and be real. But friends, you've got to take the bigger context of who God is and what he's miraculously done throughout history on behalf of his people and what Christ has done on behalf of those who love him. Remember, remember the ancient mountains, mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. He, his ways are eternal. Can you just sort of think about him rolling back through the memories? Certain triggers like smells and memories and maybe songs they sang. And he was just spending time enumerating on all that God was doing then. And could he not do it again? We got to the promised land and, and he parted the water again. The Jordan River. And, and I remember at Jericho. The Jericho, this was true. The mountains crumbled. I mean, it shook. And it wasn't anything that we did. God made those walls come down at Jericho and we were able to seize the city and, and continue to take possession of the promised land like he had. And he's just letting it flow through his spine. I remember that was great. That was incredible. God, you are so awesome. You are so powerful. When he was here in the dip and realizing what was going on, he chose to remember and to remember well. I want to read for you what he continues to say in Habakkuk 3, 7, 15. And it's very poetic. And sort of just see him getting inspiration. He's writing this down. And here we are, right? 600 years before Christ for him. We're about 220 years. I mean, 2020 years after Christ. It's recorded for us. Just the power and the beauty as he's going back and recalling the God who is. On the New Living Translations, Habakkuk 3, 7. This is sort of a, a, a theophany. And theophany in the Old Testament was like um, where God appears here on earth. And so we don't know exactly all that's going on with him. But there's some type of divine visitation as he's discouraged and crying out to God. Why? Why, oh God, aren't things changing? Why don't things seem to be more fair? He says this in verse 7. I see the people of Cushan in distress and the nations of Midian trembling in terror. Was it in anger, Lord, that you struck the rivers and parted the sea? Were you displeased with them? No, you were sending your chariots of salvation. You brandished your bow and your quiver of arrows. You split open the earth with flowing rivers. The mountains watched and trembled. Onward swept the raging waters. The mighty deep cried out, lifting its hands in submission. The sun and moon 
stood still in the sky as your brilliant arrows flew and your glistening spear flashed. You marched across the land in anger and trampled the nations in your fury. You went out to rescue your chosen people to save your anointed ones. You crushed the heads of the wicked and stripped their bones from head to toe. With his own weapons, you destroyed the chief of those who rushed out like a whirlwind, thinking Israel would be easy prey. You trampled the sea with your horses and the mighty waters piled high. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. I, I remember. I, I remember, God, all that you did. And I'm going to pause here to reflect. I remember when I was a teenager and I was struggling with assurance of my salvation. I had made some type of commitment privately to Jesus, but I had never gone and made a public declaration of it. And, and I remember God's spirit moving upon me in the corner of that gymnasium in Alexandria, Indiana, when I was at a Christian uh, music concert and they gave an invitation. And I still uh, remember the song, Come Unto Jesus. And I walked forward, even though I was with a peer group that I was hesitant. Oh, what would they think? But I knew I needed to establish a public declaration of my faith. I, I remember, I remember when I was in college and I was sort of struggling with this idea of ministry or whatever. And I took over this youth group. Uh, they gave me the assignment for the summer and it was a broken youth group. And I remember what God did at Miracle Camp that year. And how he took a broken small group and he, he, he ballooned it into 100, 130 kids that, that really were seeking God. And we came back from that camp and God worked in our high schools and we saw key individuals come to know Jesus Christ. I remember, I smell the aroma of God's beauty. There's still to this day certain songs, if we sing them, I'll feel like I'm right back in the Miracle Center, which was our little sanctuary as a youth ministry, and watching what God was doing. I, I, I remember, God, you were powerful and effective in our midst. That's so incredible. I, I, I remember when I was saying, God, I, I, I heard a statement that whoever you marry in ministry will either double your ministry or cut it in half. And then somebody told me, whoever you marry in ministry, either, either double it or kill it. I thought, I don't want my ministry killed. I remember God working through some on-again, off-again years with Melissa, who the Lord brought me, and he affirmed in my spirit, this is the one that you're to journey, not only in life with, but ministry. And, and you worked it out, and, and she actually started liking me again. Yes, I remember. God, you were so good. You were so faithful. I, I remember when there were certain seasons when I was working on the farm and the weather didn't cooperate right and, and, and the field, the harvest just wasn't looking good. And God, you, you made a way through for our family and you sustained them as Midwestern farmers that year. And, and, and God, you were so good. I, I remember the birth of our son, uh, first son, and there were some complications. And God, you, you expedited a way through and healed. And he's a vibrant young man today serving you and your purposes. Oh, God. The journey of those years, I remember. 
I, I remember when, when we started our first church and it was the parachute drop. No people, no building, no money. I met, I met with another pastor this week in the valley who'd done the same thing around here close to us. And we were just talking about God's goodness. And I, I remember, I remember having faith. I thought you wanted us to have 200 chairs for our very first public Sunday morning service. And my brother said, Why? Because they loaned me the money to get them. And I said, I, I believe God's going to bring 200 people. We had 188 people show up that very first service. And I remember that church taking off and God's beauty in it. I, I remember 20 years later at that church going into a meeting with my wife. It was an evening meeting with the district denominational leadership. And, and I was a broken person. And my wife was all dressed up. And I said, why are you all dressed up? And she says, because we're going to a funeral. I said, what? She says, Carrie, I think we're done. One of the hardest meetings of my life. But in that meeting, I felt I heard the voice of God just clearly say to me, Carrie, this is, this is hard. This is not always wholesome church transitions are. And he said, but trust me. Trust me, I'm going to take you somewhere. This doesn't make sense because you wouldn't make this decision on your own. But trust me, I'm going to transplant you. And then I remember when I first drove into this valley and we left, and we were driving back up to Zeusa Pacific where our oldest son Ryan was in school. And, and I remember some of the peace that God gave. Weird. Southern California, Temecula. Weird. I remember that. And God, I, I remember. I remember two years ago this month. You know, we celebrated our one-year anniversary in this building last year. Well, it was two years ago this month that God began speaking to me, and His presence was rich, and we were in a challenge season of the church. And, and I said, God, something has to happen. He says, you need to get out of your chair and start to go finding places you can transition to. I called you here to do some other things than you're doing, rock the valley. God opened up this beautiful location, given us this facility, enabled us to purchase it last August. I remember, God, you were with me through that journey. And it's not only those chronological events. I remember when, when God would be powerfully working in someone's life. Remember when we paid, prayed for a little boy who had, had brain tumor and, and uh, the um, uh, cancer specialist attended our church and we prayed and God healed that little boy significant number of years. I remember, God, you did. You did answer that prayer. Maybe not some other prayers, but, but that one, I remember, God, you answered that. Throughout the years, I've been in, in some pretty tough counseling environments where spiritual warfare is right at the forefront, and the person's not troubled merely with the issues of life around them or something psychologically even, but there's spiritual warfare. And, and I remember praying over people and being involved in deliverance ministries where I literally saw the countenance of a person's life change within a few hours as God freed them from unclean spirits. I remember, God... the first thing you do moving beyond the dip is do not forget the powerful working God you have. I'm going to have you do a practice right now. Usually don't do this in a message. Little homework, little assignment. You don't have to break into circles. Aren't you happy about that? But you need to take the pen that's in front of you. You need to Turn to the back of your program, your bulletin, or maybe another piece of paper, or pull out a connect card. 
I'm going to give you 60 seconds to write down two or three remembrances of when God powerfully worked in your life. Go. Jesus, in the middle of all that we're doing right now and remembering, I pray through your spirit that you would quicken the minds and the hearts of individuals in this room to recall some things they've forgotten. Where you were there in their presence, even when it was in pain and suffering, God, you provided a way. Lord, may we not forget your goodness, that your mercies are new every morning. And when we cry out for you to renew like the days of old, to revive like the days of old, to restore like the days of old Jesus, may you use our minds to go to those places where you showed your strength and your vitality. And Jesus, through your spirit, may we not forget. Amen and amen. Remember, the second thing that Habakkuk did was accept. Accept what God was going to do. Not only do we remember what he has done, but we accept what's going on. What he's doing currently, and, and, and he had to accept the whole idea that the Babylonians, these nasty, vile, wicked, evil people, were going to take over his nation. And God was going to allow it to happen at his decree. He had to accept that. Now that doesn't mean that you don't pray for God to work miracles and do transitions in your life. All that's a part of that. But friends, when you're in the dip, sometimes you just have to come to accept certain things and certain realities that are going on in your life. And you can't do what's called the hits. Do you know what the hits stand for as a Christian? A lot of Christians do the hits. This is what the hits are. Head in the sand. Oh, everything's all right in my marriage. It'll work out better. 
Oh, I know the finances really aren't looking good, but I really like to have that house and I'm just going to do it. Oh, my kids, I know that I've raised them in a certain way, but if I don't, you know, I'll just I'll just keep waiting for it to change. Is your head in the sand about something? And what you need to reckon with is that it's happening. Defining reality. First step to progress kind of idea. Is there a place that you need to pull your head out of the sand, look up and say, God, I accept what's going on. I accept that my spouse has left me and I'm not in a good place. This is where I am. Yep, I'm going to remember what you've done in the past, God, and allow that to be strength in my life, but I'm not going to ignore. I'm, I'm going to accept. I'm going to accept that maybe part of what I'm going through in a financial situation is for the purpose of God speaking to me in my life. I accept that maybe some of my health issues right now are because God's wanting me to maybe change, but I accept this is the condition I've been given. Accept. And Habakkuk, He goes into these words in 16. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. What was he doing? He was accepting this decree of God. Remember chapter 1 he was wondering, God what are you doing? Where you're at? Chapter 2 is sort of this waiting kind of season. He moves into chapter 3 with worship. But part of this worship is accepting God for who He is and all of His grandeur and His glory and His sovereignty. What does the word sovereign mean? We've referenced it before. God's in control of all things at all times in all ways. He's sovereign. He's not fatalistic. God's hand can move through prayer and we pray through prayer and God is watching and he's actively involved in our worlds today. But sometimes our worship is just coming back and looking at his sovereignty and accepting that this is what he's chosen to do. And I will find myself not just merely in a state of discouragement, but in a state of recognition for what he's doing even though I do not understand it. I mean, my, my, I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered, my bones, uh, decay began to crep and my legs trembled. Can you imagine the physical sensation that was just going on with him? I can't believe it. The Babylonians, the Chaldeans are going to come. This is going to mean pretty big consequences to me and my people. It means that we're not going to have our nation like we've had before. It means that there's going to be a lot of people killed. I'm probably going to die. He's in a place to accept. And friends, I know it sounds counterintuitive in many ways because you want to be positive and believe in God is able, but sometimes in his sovereignty, you have to accept the place in which you are. I didn't like that meeting in my office that evening that we went to the funeral. But I had to accept that God was saying 20 years at this one church and sing it go well, I was done. 
didn't understand it, don't think how it was handled was right, but God in his sovereignty relinquished and I passed the baton. I'm going to accept it. That led into a year of despair. What am I going to do? But I accepted it. I never got mad at God. I never questioned in one sense that he wasn't in control of all things in all ways at all times. It was a difficult year. I was with a good friend recently in ministry who's journeyed with me a long time. He said last year was the hardest year he's ever had in ministry. And as he was in the pit, as he was in the dip, God used another person for him to be able to hear the words of Jesus. And part of those words of Jesus had to do with him having an understanding that what he was going through was for his name. Not the person's name, not my friend's name, but for his name, the name of God, the glory of God. And that what he was going through was because there were kingdoms in conflict. Then he felt the third word that he was receiving from Jesus himself was the word, have I not? Have I not? carried you through before. Well, hey, Jesus is speaking to me. I want Jesus to do something. But Jesus was just reminding him it was for the glory of his name that the kingdoms are in conflict and that he was with him. And he'd taken him through before and he'll take him through again. It's not a resignation that we're talking about with this word. It's just a humble submission to the sovereignty of of God. Stop fighting. Stop kicking back. Pause. Remember what he has done. Accept what he is doing. And then third, trust. Trust what he's going to do. Trust what he's going to do. Remembering what he's done accepting what he is doing and trust what he is going to do. This will bode you well when you're in the dip, even though it may not be easy and it may not be the answer that you want. God is actively at work. The second part of verse 16 says this, yet I will what? What does it say? We'll try that again. What does it say? Wait patiently. For the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. You know what? He's accepting, but he's trusting God. The Chaldeans are going to come. It's, it's going to be a lot of bloodshed. There's going to be a lot of change. A lot of change, but God, I accept, but I'm going to trust you. Verse 17, I love this. This is great. This is one of those verses you need to get around. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. 
Man, the fig tree's not budding. The crops are failing. There's no livestock in the barn. But yet I will choose. I will choose to rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Does that mark your life? Does that mark your life in any way as you walk through the journey that you find yourself in in these days? That you're trusting Him? You're accepting what's going to happen, but you're remembering His goodness in all ways. (laughs) This, my friends, these three things, remembering what He's done, accepting what He's doing and trusting what he's going to do is what can be referred to as Habakkuk 3 kind of faith. When we challenge you to live by faith, it's to walk in this stead. This is the worship of chapter 3. There was the wondering of chapter 1. God, where Yeah, what's going on? And then there was the waiting of chapter 2. But here he is, as he brings it back before God, is the worship that's found in chapter 3. And in Packet 2-4, we said last week, we spent the whole day on it, and the week before talking about the righteous will live by faith. If you're going to move beyond the dip, then you have to choose to live by faith. And by faith is remembrance and acceptance and trust. Doesn't mean you don't pray. Doesn't mean you're not changing your life. Doesn't mean you're not out there seeing God trying to work and submitting to Him and whatever actions He calls you to. But you're not running around freaking out, for goodness sake. You're not running around discouraged with this big old down face. There's something about maturity that comes as you grow through the years that you're able to accept what God is actively doing even when sometimes it doesn't make a lot of sense. Craig Rochelle framed up some of what we've been walking through in these weeks. I I liked how he put it. He, He gave reference to the many, many years he's been in ministry. And I can reflect on my many, many years, 35, 40 years in ministry, 58 years being on this earth, right? And, and you've lived long enough. You've seen God work long enough. And he says this. He says, I've walked with Jesus for enough yesterdays to trust him with all of my tomorrows. Isn't that good? I lived enough and walked enough and have seen enough as I've been on this journey with Jesus that here now moving forward, I'm going to trust him. For all of my tomorrows. And then the last verse. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go where? On the heights. It's believed this reference to the deer, and, and if, if you were to go to Israel today and you see the Rocky Mounds up, especially along the Dead Sea, 
and deers would scatter around here and there and with their hoofs. They have an ability to get around and walk on high places. And so God is going to come and reaffirm in your life, even when you're in the dip, that you can move beyond the dips and He will take you to high places. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith will develop perseverance, and perseverance must complete its good work in you so that you will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I close with this testimony of a pastor's wife that some of you would probably know. Her and her husband have a ministry on the other side of the mountains. It's called Saddleback Church. Rick and Kay Warren, a few years ago, went through a really dark time, five days after Easter. Kay Warren is the wife of Rick, pastor of Saddleback in Southern California and the author of the bestseller book, The Purpose Driven Life, both of them together. They were put in the spotlight in a very sad way back in Easter of 2013. When their 27-year-old son, Matthew, committed suicide after struggling for years with mental illness. He died on April 5th of 2013, five days after Easter. It was in July of 2014, 15 months later, that Kay made some personal reflections on what would have been Matthew's 29th birthday. Here's a part of what she wrote. On July 18, 1985, I gave birth to our beloved gift of God, Matthew David Warren. Holding him in my arms that morning, I had no idea how dark the journey would get for him and for those who he loved, who loved him. All I knew that bright morning was that I was madly in love with him and could see nothing but a mother's dream of good life for her son. I remember Easter 1985. Three months before his birth, I was sick in bed, unable to go to church. Rick took the kids to church and I stayed by myself for a few hours, the TV remote by my side as my only companion. Somehow I dropped the remote and couldn't retrieve it, so there I was alone on one of the most joyous holidays with not even a TV preacher to keep me company, full of anxiety and fear for myself and my unborn child. I painfully reached for my Bible and it fell open. To Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. This was the Lord. This was the word from the Lord to me. And I determined that day that even if my worst nightmares came true, if my baby died or I never walked again, that I would trust in God, my Savior. I would rejoice in the sovereign Lord. Matthew David Warren was born and everything seemed fine. But by his first birthday, he began to wonder. 
we began to wonder. And by his second and third birthdays, we knew he wasn't like his older brother and sister. When he took his life last year, after battling and fighting so hard for decades, a friend sent me Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19 in a sympathy card. She had no idea this passage was incredibly significant to me, but it was a fitting bookend to his life. Because I had feared for years that he would take his life, it became his greatest pursuit and my deepest anguish. I had to come to the point in which I said, as I said 27 years before, even if my worst nightmare comes true and he takes his life, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. So today, his 29th birthday, through weeping, I shouted to the watching universe, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. My heart remains wounded and battered, but my faith is steady. There is and will be, as Stephen Curtis Chapman says, a glorious unfolding of all that God has in store for me and my family. God is faithful to his promises of rebuilding and restoring the ruins, and I am confident that I will yet be a witness to many, many, many lives healed and hope restored, all because of my beloved gift of God, Matthew David Warren. I miss you, darling boy. But it'll be for just a little while. Will you pray with me? I'm mindful this morning as we've journeyed to this place here in Habakkuk that there are challenges represented across this room of people who are in the dip, seeking to live by faith. And Lord, we just pray that in this moment, your presence would minister a healing touch of encouragement as they remember, as they accept, and as they trust. Across this room, maybe you're in that dip and you need that prayer for you this morning. Would you just raise your hand and say, I'm there. Yes. 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 You know, the interesting thing is either been there in the dip before you're in the dip now or the dip's coming it's common to us all Lord may your spirit descend and may you touch upon the lives of those who raise their hands and Lord may you find them in this week and embrace them as they embrace you amen and amen like to pray with someone this morning our prayer team back by the prayer area would be glad to pray with you after service maybe you find yourself in a spiritually flat blind dead place and you would like to have hope by Jesus Christ coming into your life there's someone there that could pray with you as well maybe it's a prayer concern you could just write on the back of your connect card for the prayer team this week as we intercede for you. We want to be of support to you. 
Wait patiently upon the Lord. Speak of His glorious grace. Remember what He has done. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He endures forever and He will carry you through no matter where you're at. So the ushers are going to come to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings, your connect card if you have a note of spiritual growth you'd like to take or other steps we'd like to follow up with you. But I want us to sing this as we close with great inflection and strength and endearment. Remember, Habakkuk meant embrace or wrestle. And so let's Habakkuk as we sing this together in closing.